Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Before we get into today's author interview, just wanted to remind y'all to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And of course, you can email us with questions, comments, or suggestions. Tell us what you're reading. Tell us what you want us to talk about next, anything like that. You can send those emails to professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With all that said, let's get into my interview with Margot Harrison. My guest today has a lifelong habit of creeping herself out and now attempts to creep others out via her fiction. Her teenage dream was to see as many movies as possible and write about them, which she does as a tomato meter critic for Vermont media company Seven Days. Most days you can find her reviewing vintage YA books and making skits about her weird childhood on TikTok. Her new book, We Made It All Up, comes out July 12th from Little Brown Books. It's Margot Harrison. Margot, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. I'm so glad you could take the time. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Margot, to get us started, could you tell me a little bit about We Made It All Up? Sure. We Made It All Up is the story of two lonely girls, Vivi and Celeste, who meet in a small town in Montana. Vivi has lived there her whole life, and Celeste is a newcomer. And they bond by writing romantic fan fiction about two classmates of theirs one of whom is sort of the golden boy hockey star and the other is the outsider. And Vivi wants to turn their fiction into some form of reality, but Celeste kind of senses that's a bad idea. She still goes along with it though. And the two of them end up having a drunken game of spin the bottle with the golden boy on the mountainside one night. The next morning, he is dead with a blow to the head. So did one of them do it? Well, Celeste doesn't remember how the night ended, so she has to follow the clues and figure that out before somebody points the finger at her. Now, Celeste has just relocated from Montreal, putting distance between herself and her past. Uh, Vivi is a social pariah, and the two boys that they're writing about, Joss and Seth, are, like you said, the golden boy and also kind of like the, the stonery outcast. Uh, how do you go about creating and shaping your characters? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> well, I always knew that I wanted to write about fan fiction and mm -hmm. write about girls who were writing it. And Vivi and Celeste emerged out of that, even in early drafts of this book, which had many very different drafts. And it started out as a very different story. But I knew that I wanted one of those girls to be really sort of extroverted and confident, but also quirky and secretly insecure. And that's Vivi. And I wanted the other girl to be really introverted and unconfident um, and have sort of 
a dark secret, a trauma in her past that she's trying to get to process through this fan fiction. So I always had those other characters, uh, or I always had those two characters, mm-hmm. but um, the story used to be very different. It used to be a story uh, in early drafts about two girls who were writing fan fiction and they actually kidnap the star of their favorite show that they've been writing about. Oh, I love um, that idea too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was also a fun idea. It didn't entirely work for various reasons, but I think what happened was I decided that the the imaginary show that they were writing about was so much fun that I kind of wanted that to be the reality in the book. This sure. this sort of small town setting, kind of like Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. these dark caves full of dark secrets. And so I turned that into the setting of the the current version of We Made It All Up. I love that. I love that your original idea is what helped to form just the setting overall. Because I was going to ask, how did you end up going from, you know, kind of big city to small town energy? But that makes that makes total sense. It it does absolutely read as twi- Twin Peaks kind of energy. <laughs> I hope so. And there's maybe, I think, a mayor of Easttown, too, although that wasn't really an influence because <laughs> it came out later. But <laughs> that's I love that show. <laughs> You, you can't be mad at Mary Beastown, not right. at all. Uh, now, how did you assign these different traits and kind of traumas to both Celeste and Vivi? Was there anything inciting either in your own life or just something that you thought would help drive them if they felt like outwardly outgoing, but, you know, kind of down on themselves or had, you know, has this kind of like dark backstory? Well, Celeste was definitely, she's the one who's really based on me. And there is some autobiographical stuff in there Mm -hmm. about being a theater kid and things that I experienced as a teen. So it was really kind of cathartic writing her. But, and as I did that, I had to struggle a lot to figure out how to put things on the page that might be hard for other people to understand. I had some really good Mm -hmm. critique partners and they were always pushing me, like put more of this on the page, help us to understand this character. Like, why, why would this shy girl want to be on stage and be involved in the theater was a big question for them. So I had to find ways to show that. And with Vivi, um, I mean, she, she's kind of inspired by different friends that I've had over the years, because I, you know, um, who had a little bit of that sort of quirkiness in them. <laughs> and uh, people who like to drink tea and uh, dress up in vintage clothes. Absolutely. (laughs) I think I've always gravitated toward friends like that. Right, you have the theater energy in you and they have the theatrical energy coming out of them. (laughs) Yes, yes, their lives are like a piece of art, a work of art. Some of the most fun people I've ever met are those that they have just that that one or two like kind of extra dashes of eccentricity to them that really make you go like, yeah, this is this is someone who's just special. Yes, absolutely. And I love the volatility of those people as characters because you just never know what they're going to do and how they're going to drive the plot. That is, you have a, a couple of my favorite writing tropes throughout this book. And one of those is when you have a character like that, exactly like you said, that they can out of nowhere truly just be volatile. Now, before I hop into some of my other favorite tropes in here, uh, you did say, of course, this isn't all autobiographical, but there are, you know, kind of elements of that. Um, 
you also, I believe, said in in uh, in something you shared online that some of these are things you rarely share. Uh, what made you share some of these memories to create Celeste? It, was it the the need for the motivation for the character to be both shy and outgoing, or was it just like the catharsis started, and then it was kind of like, I, I don't want to stop. Yeah, I think it was the latter. I mean. I've, you know, I've sort of avoided writing about myself directly for many years, and I've more been the type of writer who disappears inside a character. But sometimes you just kind of want to explore certain aspects of yourself and how you got the way you are, like how your adolescence shaped you. And I kind of found myself doing that through this character. That's fascinating. I, I, I totally resonate with that because as a reader, I, I know I often find myself slipping into the characters that I really admire it's it's not often that I go oh that's me it's like those are things I'd like to embody or they're they're little things I see in myself that I want to bring up but lately especially as I've been reading you know like the the volumes of wonderful queer work that we have coming out now it's uh an absolutely different feeling to see yourself represented on the flip side so I I can't even imagine what writing that must feel like (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Representation really means a lot. So since Celeste is kind of your self, not self-insert, because I know from Twitter, you don't do self-insert, but (laughs) since she is kind of you, do you only really relate to her or do you find that there are other parts of yourself in the different characters in the book? I know Vivi, as you said, is some of your other different kind of like amalgams of friends, but did you find yourself putting pieces of yourself in other characters? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's uh, there's definitely a part of me that's like Vivi as well. And the other characters, they kind of, they started out as stereotypes and tropes because they, they started out as part of this imaginary TV show that I had in my head, right. and then, which I then turned into the real world of the book. But as I got more into them, I wanted to make them real and really get under their skins, you know, empathize with them. Mm-hmm. Um, even Josh, the golden boy, who I think is the easiest to stereotype because sure. you just sort of have this image in your head of what he might be like. But I really <laughs> tried to like imagine what what he would be thinking and feeling. Absolutely. Now, it's it's a very interesting perspective to know that you are going from like you created a show for, you know, a show for the first version of this. Uh, Did you find it harder or easier to adapt those characters into these fully fleshed out characters than when you're usually kind of creating from square one? It was not too hard because I had, I, I had been writing the girls fanfic about the characters which was very angsty. (laughs) I always, I love angsty fanfic. So it was very emotional um, but of course, in this book, there are two layers. There's the fanfic, mm-hmm. which is the girl's imagination of how, how they would like the boys to be, at least. Right. And then there's the reality of how the boys are, which I think is very different. So it was yes. really interesting juxtaposing those for me. It, it is also kind of like a, a fascinating way to look at how we view ourselves and how we view others. Yeah. And really they're project the girls are projecting themselves onto the boys when they write this fan fiction. And especially Celeste. I mean, she's really putting her trauma in there and trying mm-hmm. to work through it, which 
that's really the nugget that I wanted to get at in this book. Like, what does this angsty, hurt, comfort type fan fiction do for the people who write and read it? And I think often that's what it does. It's a way to deal with bad stuff in your life that you don't know how to deal with otherwise. Kind of unpack and take apart your own traumas out on usually in the the more healthier of the fan fictions when they're uh, not real people but as you know we kind of see what happens here but yeah <laughs> now I'm just thinking of like I want a documentary of all of the uh the good old days fan fiction authors you know what are they doing now what was their life like I want their stories <laughs> I would love to know I'm I'm just fascinated by that I mean a cultural phenomenon that I don't know if it exists the same way today that it did even 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really discover fan fiction until around the turn of the century, which I guess mm -hmm. is late in the history of fan fiction. But yeah, it's evolved a lot. <laughs> and, you know, some people have turned those into fully published pieces. <laughs> right. Well, that's what's fascinating to me, that it's become mainstream. Like when I started thinking about this book, I think people weren't really talking about it. It was this secret world that you had to keep secret. Right. It was it was very hush hush. It was a different kind of gatekeeping than what we typically see. You know, I, I don't think anyone was barred from entering so much, but like you didn't want people to know that that's what you were reading or that that's what you were creating. Right. And now we have like mainstream media talking about shipping characters. I mean, right. the secret vocabulary is just everywhere that I didn't even think about that I was I was on Tumblr in the 2010s so shipping at some point became so normal to me but I never like just hearing other people say it but I I forgot about the fact that like that's what the core of of fanfic was and now to just think about like if we thought talk about 50 shades that was originally twilight fan fiction and to think of like a whole franchise you know just built off of that Right, or the After series, which was One Direction fan fiction. Oh. That's just so wild to me. I mean, it was real person <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> right, real person fan fiction that had to be wildly translated to kind of, you know, make its yes. way out of make its way out of the dark of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite ways that you drive the plot is the kind of time jump. I love a then now, I love a before after. Uh, what made you decide to incorporate this kind of narrative jump to tell your story? I, I'm, I was trying to remember what, what did it, and I'm really not sure, but I think maybe it was, um, I, I, I realized that there was a lot of backstory here that I wanted to delve into, but I didn't want to just start at the beginning because the, what was really compelling was the whole murder mystery and I think it was maybe reading Tess Sharp's book, Far, book Far From You, a really good um, queer YA thriller. Mm -hmm. And I think she has a structure similar to that. And I was very inspired by that because it worked out so well. So, um, so I decided right at the beginning to do, do that dual timeline. I, I think it's really beautifully used in both kind of like in horror, in thriller, and in kind of mystery to, like you said, build that suspense. The other kind of like trope I love is, is to go back to Celeste's memory loss, you know, so we hit that pivotal moment of Joss's death, which, you know, she now has no memory of that night, basically. Um, aside from the tension that it built, it also turns her into kind of an unreliable narrator because she only has her belief that she didn't 
you know, kill Joss and she's trying to figure out what happened. But I really love the idea of not not a fully unreliable narrator, but just that like, now we don't know exactly what happened. Did it make it tough to write navigating both jumping through time and the memory loss? Oh, definitely. Yeah, I really had to think about um, like what everybody knew in every given part of the book. And I had to, I outlined using index cards. I don't use Uh any fancy tech tools for outlining, but I I just write with word. But um, I put every, I made every scene an index card and then I would pair the before, the now and the, and the then scenes and lay them all out on the floor to have this, the structure of the whole book. It was definitely the most complex outlining job that I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes a ton of sense. Because as I was like, just going through like, how? How can you How can you kind of navigate both of these things? And honestly, flashcards or note cards make so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that, my this I, perfectly timed, it goes into kind of my next thought of what is your setup like when you write? You know, do you like it quiet? Do you have music playing, snacks, drinks? What kind of tools do you need aside from Word and, you know, maybe some uh, some index cards? <laughs> it's it has to be totally quiet I just I can't deal with any sounds even the like the lawnmower outside is is makes it difficult (laughs) don't blame Uh, you I wish I could listen to music but um yeah I I usually sit in a really unergonomically correct way sometimes (laughs) on my bed with a computer but it's comfortable and it's nice to have a cat nearby (laughs) that's always inspiring and um, a, a cup of coffee is always good. Uh, the most important necessity, perhaps. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Huh. One other thing I should note is that I, I write, I draft in longhand often, which I think oh. is unusual these days, because it when I when I write by hand, I feel so much more free to write whatever I want. Because I think the fact that I can't change it actually makes me more free. Probably feels a little bit more like it's actually out of your head. Yes. I mean, it's it's physically there on the paper. The computer right. is kind of like an extension of my brain at this point. Right. You can just kind of keep doing the back and forth. Oh, oh no, I should tweak this. Oh, no, I should just quick edit or copy paste that. Yeah, which can be very maddening at times. But I think by, by handwriting, I get back into that childhood space because, of course, that's how I wrote when I was a child of just like, oh, me and the story and I'm just going to let it flow out onto the paper. Now, Writing as a child, when did you start writing? What's kind of your first memory of of writing? I started when I was eight. And I remember pretty clearly that, I mean, I was a huge reader because we didn't have a television. We lived out in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't have neighbors. And so reading was pretty much it for entertainment for me. Yeah. So one day I thought, well, I could just sort of turn this backwards and write my own story that I, my story that I want to read. And that's what I did. Do you remember what some of those early, those early stories were? Oh, yes. Unfortunately, I do, because I still (laughs) have them. Like I have a notebook full of things that I wrote when I was eight. Oh, yay. Yeah, some of them are pretty weird. (laughs) You know, pretty dark. (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) at least you had the outlet. Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, I had weird stuff in my brain. You know, I would write a nice poem about a snowdrop and then I would write about, you know, some somebody being taken to a prison camp or something. <laughs> so I guess, you know. Do you find that what you were writing then still kind of translates now? I mean, of course, you're in the, the YA space. You are writing these kind of darker horror thriller style books. Was a lot of your writing like that or was it always very, you're either talking snowflakes or talking, you know, internment? Um, it, it was a lot, it was, I didn't really write about people my own age for mm -hmm. a while. I think because I was reading a lot of fantasy and science fiction, I tended to write about sort of vaguely adult people in science fiction and fantasy scenarios. Sure. Um, until I got a little older. I think when I was in my teens, I started writing about uh, copying YA styles and writing about teens a little bit more. Now let's take a quick break for our sponsor. Before you book any brunch, you pour over lists and lists of reviews. So why not do the same thing when booking a doctor's appointment? With ZocDoc, you can see real, verified patient reviews to help find the right doctor in your network and in your neighborhood. After all, finding the right doctor is just as, if not more, important than finding the right plate of Eggs Benedict. Go to ZocDoc.com slash ProBookNerds and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's zocdoc.com slash probooknerds, zocdoc.com slash probooknerds. And now let's get right back into talking about those books. So we know what we kind of know what got you into writing, just that kind of like time and the ability. And we know about when you started writing the YA style, but what what got you into it? I mean, with such a, a long life of writing, uh, what drew you to kind of this this age range? I I wrote for adults for a long time, or I tried to write manuscripts for adults anyway. They didn't really work out that well. But um, <laughs> I think sometimes there are some people who have to spend 20 years writing a book before they figure out how to write, actually write the books they need to write. But the way that I actually got into YA, I mean, I've always loved YA. I've always sort of enjoyed reading it as an adult. Absolutely. And, still my favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just love how experimental it can be and all the different places it can go. Right. And early in the 2000s, I had this dystopian manuscript that I was writing. It was sort of um, like it was about plastic surgery, extreme plastic surgery, with a social, socially critical angle to it. And I was, I was pitching it to agents as a, an adult science fiction manuscript, and that wasn't working. But I noticed, I went to a bookstore and I saw the book Uglies by Scott Westerfeld. And I realized in the YA space, you can write that kind of story. I mean, the dystopian thing was just sort of um, not quite peaking, but it was, it was rising at that point. So that book didn't ever work out, but I found out that I really enjoyed writing YA and all the different places I could go in that space. The, your kind of genres where do you where do you describe yourself as kind of dancing about when you write I would say psychological thriller in, in YA we call things thrillers and that kind of it mainly it usually means psychological thrillers as opposed to what it means in the adult space which is more like you know crime thrillers so it's a kind of story where there's a, um, a protagonist who's solving a mystery, but is not a detective, does not have any official status, 
it's not it's not really a procedural and often they are an unreliable narrator do you know what kind of inspired you in this space was it a love of what you were reading or did you just find like innately it was something you felt compelled to write what was kind of the motivation there um, you know, that's a good question because I, I'm not sure why I chose to enter the thriller genre, which is one of the most plot driven. When I kind of started out as a pantser, you know, I, I would not outline, I would not plot, I would just sort of fumble my way through. But I learned to be an outliner um, when I got into that, into writing thrillers, because you really don't have a choice. You need that three act structure. You gotta. <laughs> yeah. You kind of need to know, you need to have at least some idea of what your final twist is going to be. <laughs> and when it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, not as easy to just stumble upon that. <laughs> yeah. But I've, I'm a longtime horror fan in the of horror movies and a, and a reader of horror books to some extent too. Like I've always enjoyed scaring myself. So I think I naturally gravitated toward anything that sort of gives me chills, it's fun to read on a hot summer day because it gets you into that creepy space. I really enjoy that. I, I love that you said a hot summer day because that is immediately where my brain goes when I read any sort of horror thriller because that's, it, it just gives me like, it takes me back to nights of staying up late with friends, watching those movies, getting scared and then going home and being like, okay, what am I going to do? I guess I'll calm myself down by reading a book. And then the book I pick up is also a psychological <laughs> thriller. Like, well, this didn't work, but you know, now I can finish it tonight because <laughs> I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> right. Those long summer nights that, you know, turn it bleed into the morning because you, you can't sleep. <laughs> now I did see your answer on TikTok and I know you've kind of alluded to it so far in our interview, but what made you write this book? Really, it was just that desire to write something about fan fiction and figure out like what is the impulse behind writing fan fiction um, and especially women and girls writing fan fiction. Um, I, I think I, I tried to I tried to write a short story about it, sort of a literary type thing, and send it to literary magazines, but that didn't really work out. So basically, I just kept trying to find new forms and genres for this idea and this thing that I wanted to explore. That's often what I do and um, why I've hopped across genres a little, at least a little bit. I think at the end of the day, when you're feeling it, we're all feeling it when we get to read it back. That's why I just love the setting of this book. I was so, I enjoyed exploring that so much, especially the caves. <laughs> oh, the caves. <sighs> <laughs> the the settings you write are are beautiful. Have you spent time in Montana or is this a you know a location from childhood? How did you or or was this just like you said you created it for um for the TV show and the original kind of draft? What what and how do you come up with your your settings? Usually it is something that I have directly experienced, but I have to confess I have never set foot in Montana. <laughs> I just I just totally made that up, <laughs> like the like the book's title says. You know? <laughs> um, and I think the reason I knew I wanted a rural area, and I probably would have said it in Vermont where I live, but in Vermont we don't have big caves. We have like dinky little caves that don't don't take long to explore. So I knew that Montana does have big caves and real and real big mountains, and I liked the idea of that dramatic setting. How did you come up with the name for this book? 
actually, this one was a suggestion from my editor. Um, it originally had a different title. Um, and but the the rationale behind the title is that it comes from a sort of my my loose translation of the French version of a song from Les, Les Miserables, the musical. Um, it's it's the song on my own that Eponine sings, like her big ballad, mm -hmm. where she talks about how lonely she is. And in the French version, it's a little bit different. And she's talking about making up a whole story about her and Marius that isn't true and how they have this great love affair in her head. And um, I, I invented everything is like literally what the line is, but I translated it as I made it all up. So that then became the title. Now to pivot to TikTok. Uh, I told you before we started recording, my algorithm uh, knew what it was doing. It delivered delivered your right to me. And I believe uh, my first video of yours was a hippie mom video. Uh, so of course, on your TikTok, you go through um, vintage book reviews and stories from your childhood. Um, what inspired you to, we'll start with the, the book reviews. We'll come back to your hippie mom. Uh, what inspired you to kind of uh, either read or reread vintage books and present them to today's audience? I was just kind of randomly doing things on TikTok, trying to see whether I would get views with anything, which I think is what most people do when they're starting out. And I would, I, I have a lot of books, including old vintage books. So I would just do like little montages. I would just show off my books basically. And I did the ones, the most popular ones I did were always the seventies YA books, because I think um, mm -hmm. some people are, are my age and they're nostalgic and maybe some younger people are just curious about them. And one of those really took off. So um, I think it was probably the song that I chose to go with it, but. <laughs> hey, that's half the battle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I decided, well, why don't I actually read these books and review them? I, I really appreciate your reviews on TikTok because I, I fall in the category of, of just curious of what was being read then. And um, because I also like to compare to what we're producing now, I just saw today actually your, um, your kind of coverage of queer books from the 80s and 90s that you were reading and recommending as well. And it's it, it was so nice to see that the representation was there, but also to compare it to how available and, you know, kind of present, the, you know, different books that we all need to see are today. Uh, have you had a favorite book that's popped up in the in the process of your vintage reviews? Oh, wow. It's really hard to pick favorites because um, I, I, I love a lot of these so much. Like I love Lois Duncan's books. Um, also published by my publisher. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Um, like her, she was one of the original queens of YA thrillers. Oh, abs A Stranger With My Face is still one of my all-time favorites. Um, it's so good. Yeah, my brain was immediately thinking like, this feels like Lois Duncan while I was reading. We made oh, that's, up. thank you. That's really good to hear. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I just love how she would build atmosphere the tension was always so real, uh, so apparent. And I also really enjoyed, I discovered a queer book by doing this or a sapphic book from the 80s called Annie on My Mind, which I had never heard of as a kid. And it's a, really a classic and it's so good. It's such a beautiful romance. Um, so I was really happy that came, that was a tip from a reader or a watcher of the, of the TikToks. So it's really great to have those interactions with viewers. 
it is really neat to just kind of see the connections that are able to be formed between kind of like author and audience or like content creator and audience. How how have you felt uh, being able to be in touch with your readers kind of in this space? Have you found that on TikTok or on other social media? I really only had anything like that on TikTok. And I'm, I'm incredibly surprised by that. I never wanted to get on the platform. I was like, you know, I'm too old. I shouldn't be there. But I made an account because everybody said it says writers should be on TikTok. And I was just amazed by how much I enjoyed making videos and then connecting with people there. It's odd to say about social media, like I'm even hesitant to say it, but like, well, yes, there are of course awful people everywhere. People are so kind when they are reaching out, when they have something nice to say, it's it's usually like an actual genuine caring kind of piece or a thoughtful suggestion or room for improvement. Yeah, I mean, I found I found book, book Talk to be a really friendly place overall. The rest of TikTok, I don't really experience that much, but Book Talk is wonderful. And I found such a diversity of books there, despite what people say about, you know, it's always the same three books or whatever. Now, you also uh, write and critique about movies. What got you into movies? Uh, what got you kind of into that space? Well, I've always loved movies. I think because I was kept away from TV as a child, I, you know, I was always so eager to go to the movie theater and see that big screen. It was so thrilling. Um, And when I was a little, when I was a teenager, I discovered Pauline Kael, the movie critic back then who would, she wrote for the New Yorker. And like, I had never read a, read a female writer who was just so like she, it was no holds barred. She was so mean and so funny. (laughs) Like I really admired her. Um, so I kind of, you know, I, I made her my role model a little bit and many, many years later when I was working for a newspaper where I still work, they needed somebody to write movie reviews. So I just kind of volunteered. There's nothing to say about that other than like, you know, be it, dream it. Like I lucked into it, (laughs) (laughs) but also nothing's impossible. You had, you had a goal in mind and you know, the, the time came where you could, you know, live that that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been doing it. um, Wow. Since like 15 years now, I think. Wow. It's a long long time. (laughs) Do you find yourself um, seeing every movie or are you, you know, do you find like a niche for yourself? What is, what is your kind of, your kind of process when you're reviewing movies? It has changed a lot since the pandemic started because I used to just go to movie theaters Mm -hmm. and whatever was there, I would have to pick from those movies. Um, But when the movie theaters all closed, I kind of started reviewing streaming movies. Oh. And that's mostly what I still do, although I still do go to the theater occasionally when there's something I really want to see. What was the uh, last movie you saw in a theater? I think it was um, Men the Alex Garland's horror movie, which oh, yes. was, um, it was a really wild bad. ride. <laughs> wild ride. <laughs> Very paranoid. I, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. Men was, men was wild. I, yeah. that yeah, would have been, that would have been the last one I saw in theaters, but I, I had to go see Dr. Strange. So. <laughs> <laughs> and how is that? <laughs> it, it was good. I just, you know, I'm a I'm a sucker for uh, for Wanda and Agatha and kind of like the the surprising like the the vaguely queer witchy vibes. Uh, so so it wasn't maybe my favorite ending or or through line, but 
you know, Marvel movies, uh, say what you will about them. Uh, they're a good way to turn off your brain for maybe too many hours. Yeah, I still have to catch up on WandaVision because I only just recently got Disney+. Plus. You know, that I will recommend as a watch because talk about not quite knowing what's going on. A bit of a wild ride, unreliable narrator energy. It's uh, it's it's there for you. Yeah, that sounds right up my alley. Mm-hmm. You And I, I don't really think you have to know too much or anything on kind of the superhero end of things. You can truly just like fall into it, but it does correlate with previous movies. And then, of course, the, the Doctor Strange that just came out. Right, right. There was a time when I saw every single Marvel movie to review it, but I, I, I have fallen behind <laughs> since Endgame. <laughs> I don't blame you for that, though. <laughs> it's like, it was good while it lasted. I don't know if I really want to continue. Tell me a bit about your hippie mom. Oh, wow. My mom is now 88. Um, and she, uh, <laughs> she, so she's been around since the, de- the depression and she's always kind of been a non-conformist. Um, and just done done things a little differently. She was she was a peace activist in the eighties. Um, she's always been an activist. Now she's a climate activist, which and, is what we need. Definitely, yeah. So I kind of just randomly did a skit about her on TikTok because I was again just sort of randomly trying things out, and I really I have that theater kid side of me, so I really enjoy doing skits. <laughs> I love that she didn't censor your reading. Um, that's something I find to be very important, or or at least for the most part, didn't censor your reading. Um, yeah, she really didn't. Um, yeah. She It was basically like, whatever you want to read. I think she just didn't see how any harm could come from books. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, she's still kind of fighting the fight and she's fighting for the planet. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I do show her the videos that I make about her. She gets she gets a <laughs> kick out of them. So. I was going to ask if she if she had seen them or if she was enjoying them. <laughs> <laughs> and she probably still stands by everything she said then. I think she does. Yes. I mean, sometimes she corrects little things like, oh, that's not quite how it went. But, you know, she's like, maybe I didn't mean it that way but i see how you got that (laughs) right (laughs) i mean you know it's humor sometimes you shape things a little bit (laughs) to make it funnier (laughs) so now i have some questions for you just from a nosy podcaster uh when you are not writing books or writing about movies or recording tiktoks what else are you up to well my most of my day job involves editing a newspaper and just editing other writers stories so that's what i really do most of the time the movie reviews are like the fun part of the job (laughs) yeah but in terms of fun stuff i I haven't had much time for that lately but i i used to go ice skating i love figure skating so much i'm not very good at it but i i just really enjoy it what are you reading or listening to right now well, I'm finishing up a 1972 YA novel called Dinky Hucker Shoots Smack by Emmy Kerr, or Kerr, I'm not sure. And I, this is something I'm reviewing for TikTok uh, because it's a book that I read when I was a teen and I wanted to revisit it. And it's so 70s. Oh, it's just wonderful. It's not actually about a girl who's, um, you know, shooting up heroin. It's, 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 it, the title's kind of an exaggeration, but um, she is going through some stuff. So that that's a lot of fun. I am curious to see how that translates uh, for like the kids today, because 
you know, the seventies are in right now. So I, I wonder if there would be uh if they would find it relatable at all with all of the kind of like seventies content fashion that's that's kind of popular. Yeah, well, a lot of the political turbulence is similar and there are echoes there and people talk about vibes a lot in those books too. <laughs> I know, the the word I say probably the most at this point. <laughs> are you uh, binge watching anything right now? Um, I am I'm so into true crime docu-series mm-hmm. on streaming right now. Like I, um, I, wa- I watched HBO's The Staircase, The Girl from Plainville, um, and I think my favorite actually was on Hulu Candy, which is about a crime that I had never even heard of, but it was just so well made and kind of like sort of reflecting on the very nature of why we're fascinated by true crime. And that one was really good. As I write it down for myself. Yeah. And it's got Jessica Beale like in, in an 80s out, like with an 80s perm and big glasses, which is really funny. to take someone who's just like effortlessly beautiful and then make her that 80s (laughs) yes it's great yeah Uh, uh, now when I say public library what do you what comes to mind what do you think of like a great space that I've been enjoying since I was a kid and just like I've always spent so much time hanging out in libraries and just browsing through books and finding things um, discovering new things. Um, I was just reading a passage in that in that YA book I was reading about how libraries are great places for anxious people to go because you'll always find other people who are just as anxious as you or more. And then like the space with all the books calms you down. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a great passage like celebrating libraries. <laughs> Do you have a go-to drink order when you go to a cafe? Mm, latte maybe double latte which is also what I make at home (laughs) yeah depending on how much energy I need (laughs) and a favorite restaurant to go to oh that one's hard because we have so many great local restaurants here and I'm always trying new ones like we have uh right near me there's a a little place called Cafe Mama Juana that has sort of Dominican fusion food and um, the, the chef is a James Beard nominee. It's so good. Wow. Okay. Are you working on anything that you can talk about right now? I'm finishing up a draft right now. I can't say too much about it, but it's related to true crime, um, which I am fascinated with. And it's sort of about, about, about a girl who's fascinated with true crime and gets involved in a real case. Ooh. So it's another YA thriller. Where can the listeners find you online? Um, I am at margoharrison.com and um, on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, Margo F. Harrison. Perfect. Now, before we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like listeners to take away from We Made It All Up? Oh, wow. That's tough. Um, But I just, um, if you go in caves, be careful, have a plan, know how to navigate because you might find some um, dark secrets there and you might have to go through some twisty, scary passages. That's fair. I would also say, be careful who you play spin the bottle with. <laughs> oh yes, definitely that. Yeah, and don't don't drink antique liquor while you're playing spin the bottle either. <laughs> That's never been a, a good reality when I've lived it. So yes, don't do that. <laughs> well, Margo, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today and sharing all about We Made It All Up. 
Thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. Listeners, remember to check out We Made It All Up. It will be out on July 12th from Little Brown Books. And uh, we hope you enjoy. So, of course, everyone, have a great rest of your day and happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen Podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.